This is Nero Desai. And I'm Kirby Shibaga, filling in for Vinay, who is uh, unable to attend today. And always in the background, we have Stephen. Today, our guest is David Bass-Clark, the Director of VR, AR Research and Development at Unity College. And he's an uh, educational technologist and XR strategist. Uh, so hello, David. Hi, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about today because it's very relevant to uh, the remote situation we all find ourselves in today. David, just for fun, before we get into things, a uh, quick icebreaker question. We like to do that with our guests. So here we go. If you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be and why? I always want to ask more questions when people ask me questions like this, but I won't. Um, I guess it would no, be... No, we all have to answer, David. So, uh, oh, we all have to answer. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose if it was someone living, I'm going to go with someone living. Yeah. It would be with someone... I, I, I'm not even sure I'm going to say a name, but uh, someone that's um, a mover and shaker in the world of sort of technology... Probably someone like uh, Zuckerbergish or in in that vicinity to try to understand their, them better in terms of where they're coming from and where they want to go as it relates to my work. To be honest, <laughs> that to VR and, and distance education and everything. Yeah, that's awesome. Aim high, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about you, Nerf? I'm gonna let Kirby. I'm gonna let you uh, predict who mine will be. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I should have known better. <laughs> uh, we have a kind of an ongoing uh, thing on our podcast here, but I'm going to guess it might be Bruce Springsteen. You, you are right. I would probably <laughs> want to strap him into a VR headset and, and get his reaction. Maybe have him write a song about it. Well, that's interesting. I, I wonder that. if he's actually tried VR. I'm sure he yeah. has. I love that answer. Oh, wait, can I revise? I want to revise. Please you know, do, please I'm do. I'm just yeah. cheating. <laughs> you made me think if it was someone dead <laughs> I, I would probably go with like some like 1600 1700s inventor um or someone some artist i can't think of a specific person right now but somebody that hasn't tried vr it would be really neat to and couldn't even imagine that sort of world it'd be neat to pop them into a headset so uh and see what their what their response would be so I I'll, ideally have them come to your time as opposed to you going to their time. You oh, yeah, I'm not going. To, I don't want to go to like the seventh. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> feeling like relatively. <laughs> what about you, Kirby? Oh, yeah. You know, for me, I would actually pick, if it's somebody dead, I would pick Nikola Tesla. Uh, he just seemed like such an interesting mm. character. Yeah. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, you know, imagine if a fellow like him or, you know, one of the biggies like... Uh, Da Vinci. Yeah. Uh, imagine if they tried VR. Yeah. It would just blow people's mind. I would love to hear, like, yeah, it would be great to pick their brains about what would they do with the technology once they knew it existed. <laughs> Very cool. So, David, I think a great way to kick this off is if you could just give our audience a quick intro about yourself. Yeah, so great to be here. My name is David Bass-Clark. I'm an educational technologist and an XR strategist or evangelist. I almost tried to combine those words, a stratevangelist. Um, Not a bad term. <laughs> stratevangelist. Um, so I really, right now my work focuses on XR experiences in, in higher ed, immersive learning design, 
and really also focused on distance learning, innovations in distance learning. I've been fortunate enough to work here in Maine, but also worked for some time in, in Shanghai, China, and a few places in between. And uh, I work at Unity College, a, a college that is very focused on um, pushing the boundaries in terms of extended reality and what is possible with extended reality um, as it relates to um, higher ed. And uh, we also focus on sustainability, environmentalism, um, and, and that type of world as well. And David, you're in the XR uh, education space, uh, I guess specifically, but part of the big, bigger ed tech space. Mm -hmm. um, how did you get into that? And like, how, how big is the opportunity there for, for newcomers? Yeah, I can speak a little bit to that, uh, obviously, particularly to how I got into it and a little bit of my perspective on the opportunity. I, I sort of, you know, ed tech to me, first of all, 40,000 foot view, my, my brother, Caleb Clark, has kind of a definition that I've always liked, which is teachers can't, I think I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this, but roughly <laughs> paraphrase that's teachers can't geek and geeks can't teach. And somewhere in the middle lies educational technology. And, you know, again, I think that that's a, it's kind of a nice way of encapsulating it. Obviously, many teachers can geek and many geeks can teach, but there is sort of an interesting middle ground there. So I think the opportunity, as you pointed out, is quite large when we think about the size of the education market as a whole, those private and public university K-12 training, uh, training and development, workforce development for, for corporations as well. I think we're undergoing kind of a redefinition of education as well from this four-year, I get a bachelor's, I get a master's degree, a graduate degree, and I, you know, the type of access, types of access that we people have had to that education and the, the quality of that education and the consumer being more aware of alternatives to that to uh, receive the same type of training. So thinking about things like micro-credentials, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the space to redefine what education is as a whole. And, you know, technology is, is one part of that story, but just a small part. But speaking more specifically to XR in my how did I get into it, I was in China for four years for, in Shanghai um, working in international schools and some universities and helping them with emerging technology in a broader sense. And I just personally loved VR and AR. This was in 2013, 2014, kind of DK1, DK2 Oculus. So it was just early days in, in, in my professional journey with it. And I got into it and helped a few startups just for fun, try to orient themselves to the market and understand the educational consumer mindset. What were these institutions looking for? What were their challenges and pain points? And I just really loved being that glue in between them. And then more recently, when I returned to the States about three years ago, I was working for the University of New England and sort of, again, broadly integrating emerging technology into their distance education curriculum. And and then more recently, uh, working with um, Dr. Uh, Malakori at uh, at at Unity College, which is where I work now. And it's just been super exciting to be, have a sort of mandate that is extremely focused on not just emerging technology, but extended reality. And that includes obviously virtual reality, mixed reality, augmented reality, and others. And so that's sort of how I got to be where I am. And what's exciting to me about the, the size of the market is every day I sort of, you know, it's we build simulations fairly quickly and prototype MVPs. And although there are a lot of people, you know, learning 3D spatial design and trying to understand where these technologies are, 
um, and building in them, there's just so many inquiries every day that I receive about, you know, how, how do I use this at my school? How can I use, how can I learn about this to advance my career? Um, and there's just a shortage, in my opinion, of, of, of trained labor. Like when we go out to look for, you know, people that can really build this and have, have a portfolio, it's, it's relatively limited. Um, and so I think there's a huge opportunity there for training a workforce and also building experiences. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you mentioned that the market itself is quite large and it seems like, uh, you know, combined looking at the kind of Venn diagram there, shortage of trained labor with a huge market mm. that uh, there are these opportunities. You know, last night I was looking at some of the numbers and in the U.S., the education expenditure in 2019 was 6% of GDP, which, wow. you know, isn't uh, uh, obviously not all XR, unfortunately. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's $1.2 trillion. Wow. And the other thing that I found was in the ed tech market, again, not specific to XR, but just ed tech in general, last year, $1.7 billion invested. And I can only imagine, you know, when you're getting those phone calls from colleagues and uh, whoever calling you asking for assistance, are you also getting calls from companies that have platforms or products they want you to to purchase? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Every day. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of of that of of, you know, VC backed. Uh, startups and plays in the market for sure. What's interesting is that the large players, and this is just anecdotal and not, you know, what I see is that the large, large players have been pretty quiet on this front and they are acquiring, they're sort of trying to build the super apps, I think, but they're also waiting to see who this, who kind of fight, duels it out, fights it out in the marketplace. And I think eventually they'll purchase, you know, winners of that of that space, of the authoring tool space, of the space of um, synchronous communication, but as it relates to specific tools around that communication in VR or with AR. So, yeah, I think that's, I do get calls, and mostly not calls, I suppose, mostly emails (laughs) and LinkedIn requests. David, has the interest in um, uh, working with education institutions increased or decreased uh, post-COVID? Working with them from whose perspective? I'm, I'm talking about the startups. I, I know definitely on the investment side, interest in that space has increased. But uh, have you noticed that in terms of the reach out you've got, gotten from startups and, and such? Yeah, I would say, again, anecdotally speaking, just from my perspective, personally, yes. Not a huge, huge uptick, but mm-hmm. yes, slowly. I would say it's been a little more organic. That one has come, like if I look back like today versus eight months ago, Yes, but but it hasn't been as dramatic. It wasn't like there was a switch that was flipped, sort of steadily, slowly increasing, I would say. Yeah, and so, you know, you talked about experience working at uh, universities and colleges, uh, and that's presently where you work at a college. You know, so in education, there's a big divide between K-12 and higher education. Do you see one of those categories being more attractive to a startup right now? like easier to work with or more demand, that type of thing? Not sure I have a good answer to that, except to say that there's very different considerations. Just to get a little weedy for a moment as a specific, I think when we think about things like the ADA, you know, Americans for Disabilities Act and some of the legislation that's come out of that, Section 508 and 504, 
um, how we as a society sort of approach people with a spectrum of abilities, which is so important in education at any level, that's treated very differently at the K-12 level as compared to the higher ed level. Essentially, at the K-12 level, it, the onus is on the institution to make sure to ensure that that student is identified and has the appropriate support. And it's completely flipped at the higher ed institution. It's the onus to the onus to well, rather the onus to communicate that need is very much on the student at the higher ed level. And there's until they communicate that need, there's nothing that the college can even do legally if they want to really other than be ready to support that student. So like that's a good example of just like a very like important to understand differences. I also think, you know, at the K-12 level, when we're serving students, we're thinking about teachers and teachers are so strapped um, for time and for resources and for, you know, funding. And so it looks very different getting into the market at for an ed tech company in general. This isn't specific to XR, but I think it looks very different getting into the market when you think about, you know, you're lucky to get an, a teacher to spend an hour a week learning something new, the, the vast majority of them. And so because they just don't have the time, you know, and I, and I was a teacher at the, in the K-12, I guess, nine, 10 years ago now. So, you know, it's just a very busy life and there's just not a lot of time to, to devote to these things. So you have to focus, I think, at the K-12 level on getting the top five, 10 percent of teachers that are spending their nights and weekends sort of digging in deep and getting, you know, the early promoters and the to kind of sell. Um, there's a company that did that well, in my opinion, called Seesaw, um, where they sort of have a freemium model and they push that out to people and they really have Seesaw ambassadors and they get swag and they get recognition and they get a community and they're able to sort of sell the district on when, when enough when there's enough when there's enough users of the platform the district wants to buy it because they see the value and there's enough teachers that have proven it out so i think that's kind of the way you go for it at the the k or one one strategy for the k-12 level for the college level i almost think you have to sell like you can try that but selling the administration is probably and looking for the right types of administration that are willing to take the risks Ours is a great, a great example of that. I think, again, you know, our president has done a, a fantastic job of being um, of taking calculated and strategic risks when it comes to, you know, emerging technology. And so identifying those, you know, those that have the sort of the levers to pull there is really, really important in, in the, at the university level. Sorry, it was a long, a long-winded answer. <laughs> no, that's that's great. We appreciate the the depth. No, it's an interesting answer. I mean, it's rare that you have someone with experience in both K twelve and, and and collegiate education. So I'm sure. I mean, you bring a very interesting perspective here. How much do you of your time do you spend? Do you work with a lot of startups? For ver for various reasons, yes. Yeah. So, but you know, we have I would say we have partners and some with some startups. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes we're they're <laughs> our vendor. More sometimes we're more their vendor, and sometimes it's just an equal partnership. Sometimes we're creating content together. Sometimes we're trying to use you know help them get their product. We like their product, so we're trying to help it other people you know build awareness about that product. So we do. Um, of course, when you think about the really underlying sort of um, fundamentals of technology and education, 
there aren't a whole lot of startups that have the the legal capacity and the sort of structural capacity to, for example, to do an SIS, a student information system or an LMS, you know, Mm -hmm. those are larger companies. So we, of course, work with them as well. But when it comes to these emerging tech uh, tools, I find that a lot of them that are that are really out there trying to add value and on the edge of what's possible often are the little guys, uh, the little ones and not the, the larger ones. I mean, the market potential in ed tech is just massive. I mean, you think about it, you know, the largest company in the world right now was an ed tech startup. And it's been a while, but uh, Apple did get their start through selling mm-hmm. to the Board of Education to California. Right. Um, and so, I mean, as XR becomes more and more a, a thing that uh, actually has youth, I think through education, um, it's going to be the channel to the future. Right. Yeah, actually, the state state of Maine was, I believe, at one point, I want to say maybe even 15 years ago now, gosh, it might have been longer than that, was the single largest, I believe, or one of the largest, if not the single largest purchaser of Apple computers. It was one of, one of the first programs to do a one-to-one statewide um, mm. for, I believe, for middle school students. Every single sixth grader, I believe, received a laptop, an Apple oh, laptop. Wow. Um, and since then has that program has changed rapidly but yeah i mean it's it is true and that to be honest that's something i can't speak a lot to the deals that happen at that level <laughs> i think that's kind of a whole nother ball game no no but I, you know yeah i was actually going back to you know the early days of apple right so i mean I, i'm kind of making a comparison between some of the younger startups right now that are yes. experimenting in the space to yes. you know the early days of apple when they were yes. when you know pcs were not a thing Right. No, you make. Yeah. And I, I, you, we forget how small Apple was at one point <laughs> and yeah. how and sort of next and where it came, you know, yeah. that, you know, that as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, what do you all in your I'm curious what you feel and t- even back to the K-12 versus college question, you know, for startups. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. I mean, I, I think there's an interesting problem because there's equity issues and there's that come up in elementary school and or not K12 school in a very different way than comes up in college not mm-hmm. that those don't exist in college but they exist in a different manner mm-hmm. and you know just in terms of looking at the transition of my daughter in middle school going um, online there's so many different considerations than you know what my wife goes through who's an educator at a university educator that when you think about tech adoption, they are different worlds, right? I mean, uh, you know, if you're adopting a new platform like a, a VR headset um, if, and a district is thinking about rolling it out to the student body, you know, there's all sorts of uh, questions, again, around accessibility, around maintenance of the equipment, right? I mean, uh, public schools have to deal with um, and have to think through how do you educate students who might be homeless, experiencing homelessness. Whereas that's not really as much of a concern on the um, college level. So there's a, I would imagine there's a, a more uh, level playing field and a base of understanding for deploying such solutions. I don't know if that uh, is on point with, with what you're thinking, but. No, I, I hadn't, honestly, that's, I'd never thought of that, but I think that sounds, that resonates from my small perspective to be fairly accurate. There's just very, and to your point, I mean, the larger point is there are just such different, there really is a kind of a 
there's a Venn diagram there, but there's quite a lot that isn't in the middle there of the Venn diagram between K-12 and college considerations. And then I would also say that budgeting is different, right? I mean, colleges yes. are centrally uh, more accessible, I would say, to a startup to market to. Right. You're talking about state budgets and you're talking about private institutions. Right. Whereas uh, schools are more at the local level, which it's hard to get a spread across multiple uh, districts. Yeah. And I guess another issue or difference is talking about privacy. Uh, mm. Yeah. You know, privacy is important for all of us. But again, there's probably there's probably a lot more concern to get things right in K-12 before uh, attempting deployment. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, though, for online, I really love what you said earlier about, you know, redefining education and going towards maybe micro degrees and, and you know, maybe more practical uh, kind of educational experiences where you actually build a portfolio or collaborate with others, that type of thing. And, you know, two two things come to mind there. One is Coursera. Uh, I can imagine they do all those things today. You know, how will they benefit from this technology as as it becomes more accessible? And then at the K-12 level online, there's places like Khan Academy. Right. You know, and they do an amazing job as well. Just a little while ago, I actually was listening to a podcast with Saul Khan, and, you know, he said something interesting that as technologists, we always need to remind ourselves that we can geek out about the technology and just love it, but it doesn't apply to everything. Like, he doesn't right. want to see online education replace in-person learning. Right. He wants it to augment and and help students, you know, asynchronously, I guess. Yeah, right. there's just so many opportunities. You know, that, and you bring up a very good point there about it's not a panacea. You know, it is not, it's not a, you know, I think often there's this danger around salesmanship, which startups and larger companies need to have, you know, you need to get value props out there. But, you know, I see, and I mentioned this, I think, you know, in our last conversation, there's so many companies that sort of, you know, they built a virtual campus and they say, look, isn't this amazing? You can do PowerPoint. Um, and I, on the one hand, I understand, you know, that's a tool that people recognize and sometimes throwing a bunch of new things in someone's face is just overwhelming. But at the same time, I think it's important not to like, that is very much like we can do PowerPoints in classrooms today. This is, this is, this is, in my opinion, not where we should be looking to the future of XR. I think we need to look beyond that into, we need to be able to, you know, fly above the building together and look at pieces of architecture that we wouldn't normally be able to see drench, you know, rain down upon it in torrential rain and see how the drainage systems work, um, burn it to the ground and then rebuild it backwards to see where the fire started forensically. These are the things that we should be looking at. And they're a lot harder than just integrating an API for a PowerPoint. But they're, in my opinion, where the value is. Of course, there's value as well to if I can't be on a campus and I'm doing a Zoom call, there is a value prop for for having a PowerPoint and being able to sit in a classroom and look left and right and see people. I don't want to ignore that, but I think it isn't really the fundamental value of or where where we what we can do is is so much farther beyond that. And then another thing you mentioned, Kirby, that really resonates is at Unity College, we really want to focus on democratizing the access to this and not keeping it behind the shield of a traditional four-year 
degree. We want, you know, people to be empowered. And that starts with breaking or redefining what it means to become educated, you know, to 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 receive education at, at a higher education level. And that starts with, you know, what is a micro credential and how how cheap can we make it and still add value for students, but make the, the barriers to entry, you know, re- lower the barriers to entry. And it's also about working with partners, you know, around, you know, infrastructure for, you know, the, the in- internet bandwidth. There's a lot of things that like just don't work in VR, for example, without increased internet bandwidth. And often that just isn't an option or it becomes very difficult. So we really want to focus on democratizing this technology. And I think that's, and and I think we're not the only ones. Obviously, there's a lot of people focused on that. Hey, David, I wouldn't wouldn't mind drilling in a little bit more on on the conversation around the interface. I mean, I think you brought up some really interesting points there. You know, the spatial computing, you know, from the UI UX perspective, is very different than your common web application UI mm-hmm. UX, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the right. experiences are different. And do you have like uh, some experiences that that you? think work really well or interfaces that, that make a lot of sense and or use cases? I, I, I noticed you yeah. got in a little bit of modeling and simulation there. Yeah, yeah. So a good example, I love getting this 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 deep in too. It's fun. It, although we are, it is interesting. I've never had to explain this without any visuals. <laughs> so so this is a good challenge for me. So let's call it spatial audio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> so I think so one example of that is First of all, we build device agnostic experiences, and that affords us an interesting opportunity and challenge. And the reason we do it is not just legally, but we think universal design-wise, this is the right thing to do, that not everyone's going to have access to the same type of hardware. So we try to build it for multiple mm-hmm. um, multiple experience, multiple devices. So one a good example is we built a virtual forest. We have two kind of virtual experiences now that I'll speak to. One is a virtual forest and one is a virtual ocean. And within that, we can do a lot. Our our niche right now is, you know, environmentalism, sustainability, wildlife conservation, animal health and behavior. Those are some of our really strong, larger programs. And so when we think those are perfect and, examples. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Just to, for the audience here, uh, Unity College is an environmental college. So, yes. Um, okay. Just wanted. I apologize. To, <laughs> Jumped <yeah>. too deep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That is, that is, yeah, we're. That is our main focus, although we do we do other programs, but they all kind of fall under that lens. So, for example, we have even an MBA program, but it's a sustainable MBA program. We always focus from that sort of lens. So so we built this virtual forest and inside of it, we populated it with some rabbits and uh, the rabbits have a basic AI and the player or the, you know, the student will uh, navigate this forest and try to count these rabbits and one of the reasons that it's it really asks it begs this one of the questions that we ask is what can we do that's impossible or difficult as i alluded to earlier in real life but in vr is much easier and you would think counting rabbits well you could do that but the barriers to entry of that are quite intense particularly if you're living inside of a city that may or may not have a forest that's populated with animals like this it's there's a barrier there but even if you could go out would you have the right tools and education to, to go out and make it worth your time to practice in the field. So what we try to do is build these experiences in a virtual space where students can practice a lot with the tools so that when they get into the real world, as you were pointing out, Kirby, they have the right tools 
uh, and they've had the right practices so that they can really make good use of their time when they are in the field and they don't need an extra 50 hours in the field to stumble around and try to figure things out. Another example of why that forest works so well is if you can imagine our faculty, even if, we, first of all, all of our students are at a distance, but even if we were all in the same physical space and we had a traditional model, we would have a problem because 20, 15, 20 human beings going into a forest together, there's not going to be many animals. And our faculty have to assess each individual student's ability to identify and count animals. And so how do they do that, right? When there's 15 or 20 of them, they all see different items at different times. And maybe most importantly, they all, um, even if they all see the same three rabbits, the, the faculty don't know the objective number of rabbits. So was it three of 10 rabbits or three of three rabbits? And so what we can do with this virtual environment is control for all of those and put the student alone in this virtual environment. And then we built that for an executable file on a PC and a Mac, but we also built it as a, a Quest APK, so in full virtual reality. And we had to think about the UX, as you pointed out, between those. So on one, it's a flat UX, um, and you can click on the rabbits. And you can freeze time, which is, this is about ADA compliance, but we were saying, what are we really measuring? Are we measuring their ability to click on rabbits? No, we're not measuring that. We're measuring their ability to notice the rabbits. So if they're having a connection issue or a slow computer that drops frames or any other, or a mobility issue, I don't want them to have that rabbit run away and them feel frustrated that they knew they saw the rabbit, but the system didn't. And so what we did is we gave them the ability to press P and pause time. Um, and then the rabbits pause, the timer pauses, and they can navigate at their own pace and select the rabbit, make sure that the, the, it sees them. Um, the other thing, sorry, I got a little deep in there, but this system will count the number of rabbits they see and also the number of rabbits they do not see. And at the end, it will give each individual student an assessment of here's how many you missed, here's how many you saw. And they're able to go in and test a bunch of different field theory about how they should be estimating populations of animals and conserving that population. And so that's kind of a, a good example of that. The UX is really interesting when you take it to a VR because it's no longer flat. So what we did is we put binoculars that they can pick up around their neck, if you can imagine. And we also put the freeze time button as a on their wrist. So all of the buttons are on their left and right wrist. They have a compass on their wrist. And so we had to figure out how to get all of the UX onto their body and really embody that UX. And we're still playing around with, you know, best practices for that type of experience. That's really interesting. So have you noticed any um, consolidated uh, platforms to make it easy for, uh, because, because I imagine each one of these applications would be specific for a class or a skill that we're trying to uh, teach the students. When we get to content management and integration with learning management system. I've, I've seen very little of that, mm -hmm. uh, but you mentioned it earlier. So I wanted to kind of give you an opportunity to see if there, there are systems that um, are really tailoring VR first or XR first. A handful in the past, again, and I've only been deep diving into VR again in the past year, so I can't speak too much prior to this past year. On, on, but in the past year, there's been more and more but I have not seen a great one yet. In other words, mm -hmm. what I haven't seen is we do, let's say someone who's got an LMS, a CMS, a content management system, a learning record store that's connected, dashboards of the data. You know, I haven't seen sort of someone really, I've seen someone say, we do an MDM, we manage devices remotely in VR. And I've seen some pretty good examples of that, like Mighty MDM is a good example. Yeah. Um, 
but there are a lot of others as well. Um, Springboard VR does that. But so, and then they kind of verge on content management sometimes, but really I haven't seen, and I think there's space in the market for someone that's doing all of that. Uh, but it's a huge lift. I think part of the reason we haven't seen it is there's, it's a, just an enormous lift to do all of that. And there's so many new technologies that need to come in and play nice together. And so it's very difficult for extremely small companies, I think, to do that well. And so rightfully so, they focus, which is something I think a wise, you know, wise mentors will tell startups to do is, you know, focus on a specific value add. Um, but what that means for people like me is that we have to go to one for the MDM and one to connect to the LMS and one to help us build right. a learning record store that is created for VR. Because the learning record stores have existed for years without VR. But what does that look like? for VR applications or for AR applications. Yeah, I think that's the huge market potential. Um, clearly, it would need to be done at a large enough scale to make it work. Right, right. And I know, like, there hasn't been a lot of good answers, but, you know, from, like, I'm curious when Facebook or someone like that will get into that. They don't seem to really be that interested, those sort of larger companies, in engaging with the education market on this level and providing. They certainly have the capability if they wanted to. But up until this point, I haven't seen much interest from them. I don't know if either of you have experienced similar things. No, I haven't. Um, I, I, I've been. I used to do some work with Blackboard, and I was wondering if they would get into this space as well from the straight curriculum side. But I haven't seen that yet. No, and I, it's funny you mentioned Blackboard. I've worked quite a lot with LMSs and Blackboard in particular, and I have not seen. Although I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah much interest at all from any of the large, even, you know, any of them, Blackboard among Canvas and Brightspace, uh, D2L for, for this, much of an appetite for this, for them. But maybe that some of that might be happening in the back background that I'm not aware of. Yeah. But I've been getting a lot of questions lately from uh, um, startups and, and companies that are seeking investment um, around, and they, they keep on talking about VR and climate change. Mm -hmm. But I don't, when I drill into it, there's really just their buzzwords being thrown together. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen anything substantive around uh, climate change related to VR? Yes, several things. The first that comes to mind is, and we did not, uh, we're building a few, I would say, and we have okay. built a few. But so, but the main one that comes to mind that's already totally built is, and I'll have to, I can find the link if you remind me later, but I'll, um, it's basically sea level rise. So they take LIDAR scans of, of coastlines mm -hmm. uh, that are particularly in danger, uh, in danger of, you know, having that sea level rise impact the communities and the wild and the life in that area. And then you, um, you float above it in sort of a, a zeppelin of sorts <laughs> and you are able to see over a hundred year period where the projected sea level rise will be and also how mitigation of that would affect that's the horizon, what mitigating factors you can create to try to, to help that community. So that's kind of one specific one I've seen. Um, and again, I'll, I can get you the link to that. Uh, but that is, you know, to your point, that is kind of where we're going with this hackathon. It's specifically around climate change and, and sustainability and thinking about how we can bring XR and distance ed and, and having students hack their own education. What's really important, I think, too, is like we don't give enough to the students and say, hey, you're the customer, you know, of, of, you're buying this product, this education. We want you to be a strong voice in what it is. And so we're, we want, break it, hack it. Let's figure out how to make this better. 
and that's really what we're doing with this is is putting putting the tools in their hands and and giving them the responsibility and the leeway and the freedom to 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 break it all down and build it all back up in in the way they see it best working for them. Very interesting. And again, I think you mentioned a little bit more of the modeling and simulation type applications. So it's not just visualizing sea level rise, but really going down and and looking at and modeling out potential mitigation techniques. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You get to see sort of t techniques for mitigation, but and also the the models around how that would affect or not affect the coastline in an immediate sort of visual way. Mm. But I mean, yeah, and there's a couple of others. I do think one thing we didn't touch on is like there's this difficulty with startups of going too deep, going too specific and then not being able to extricate from that. And then or or trying to be so broad that you never get to drill into something that adds value. And I think there's a balance there that's really tough to to yeah, it's, it, I don't have a great answer for that, but there has to be sort of elements of both. Mm -hmm. In the words of Depeche Mode, you got to get the balance right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just looking at the web page here for the hackathon. Um, how many people have signed up so far? Do you know? We had to sort of cut it off um, because, w to be totally frank, I didn't want it to get really big because it's our first one, and we want to make sure <laughs> that we have a quality product. And if it's going to go off the rails, we want to make sure that it's going to uh, going to be a good quality product. So we stopped at about 80 registered participants, okay. um, <laughs> but we had hundreds of other inquiries, um, wow. and so we expect that we'll be able to push this much larger in 2021 um, mm -hmm. and we're just figuring out the how and the when and, and sort of the specifics of that but we're excited and we're really excited to see what the students you know come up with we've, we've, we've given them a lot of design prompts and some some interesting tools and they've got 24 hours which is really no time at all but you know I'm really curious to see yeah. what they'll build and design yeah awesome actually to bring it back to Apple and you know, their, their beginnings in education. I was one of those kids that was really fortunate in grade six to have access to an Apple II. And, you know, it changed my life. It, it set me in this career of computer science and technology. And we know these huge internet companies, you know, they're looking for new markets to grow into like health and fitness. And they do work in education, but I imagine they're going to have a a much bigger uh, push into the into the ed tech space in the years to come. You know, as as the hardware becomes again kind of more accessible, and educators have more tools to work with it, and so on. Uh, right. Yeah, but just just before we wrap things up, you've given us a lot to think about. So many opportunities. Like what, what advice would you give an individual or, you know, a small startup that wants to bring value to ed tech and, you know, they're really into XR? You've given a great example of, you know, a, a type of experience or application that can benefit from XR. But what other advice would you give them on developing a relationship with someone like yourself or, you know, seeking out those opportunities? Great question. I want to back. I want to mention one more thing because I think it'll connect to this. Is that you know the forest in term one of the most important things about it, it is very niche, but 
it's an entire forest and it can be extended and reused and remixed. And once you have the bones of it there, and so we've already got 10 ideas about how we can reuse that and the tools and the learn, the things that we learn from making things device agnostic and pushing them to sort of be a similar experience, but with totally different UX, those are very repeatable and reusable lessons. And so I think there's a lot to be said for applying those larger lessons to specifics, to specific use cases. So in terms of advice for making relationships, I think, you know, I mean, LinkedIn has worked. People have reached out to me and, and certainly that that's an important sort of ecosystem for me personally. Again, what I'd like to see is people pushing beyond what's easy and what other people are doing into something that is not just unique, but adds the value that XR is so well made for and not sort of this, um, it's a little bit harsh maybe, but this sort of lazy, like, well, we'll just apply XR to everything, which we sort of mentioned earlier. I don't like that. It sort of turns mm -hmm. me personally off. And and also doing the heavy lifting, I would say, of, of like, you tell me, I think there's a sort of sense of like, we, we'll, we made a tool, now you you all, education, you figure out how to use it. And I think what's a much better path for a startup, although much more difficult, is to come with some of those really, really great use cases um, and and demonstrate them and say, this is how we might imagine in your use case. So, yeah, and I think when you're doing, when sales pitch wise, I guess another, I have so much to say here, but sales pitch wise, I think coming in the beginning about who the audience is, who the students are, what the challenges are, and then catering the a pitch to that audience. And, and so not, again, coming in from a generalized perspective, I think is is really important. Yeah, I, I, I but but I mean, there are so and there are a lot of great startups. I want to mention, too, like one way we're trying to bring startups and, and other communities in is bringing people together, bringing colleges together, bringing the corporate world into the college, into the college world and blending that workforce development, bringing in um, startups and venture capital and all of these worlds together. And one way we're trying to do that, and I would love to have, you know, even more startups interested is is hackathons. And that mm -hmm. I think kind of is an, can be a nice nexus there. So we're really interested in, um, in, in, in building those ecosystems and, and connecting students and professionals and, and administrators and leadership all together to, to build and prototype interesting experiences. That would be my scattered advice. <laughs> I, that's, I, I think that's advice that can go across all sectors, not just education. I, uh, you know, I think we could talk. Uh, certainly not as long as Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> I saw. I don't know if I could sit that long. Uh, he actually recently just did like a five-hour podcast. Oh wow! Uh, just under five hours. Insane. Oh, wow. Uh, but man, there are so many avenues we could go down further with this. But I think we have a better understanding of what ed tech is, what are the opportunities, how to get involved. Now, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way? You had mentioned LinkedIn earlier. Yeah, I think link, for me personally, LinkedIn is a great way. Um, you can search David Bass-Clark. Um, I'm sure there'll be a link somewhere along these lines. But an email is good too, D, uh, so that my email will be in there. I won't say it. <laughs> um, but email and LinkedIn are, are great. Cool. And is there anything that you would like from from us or from our listeners. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned this great opportunity with hackathons to get involved. 
Um, is there more that we can do to, to help build the community of uh, XR? I mean, I, I would love to hear from the community. Other, That's just one idea that we've had and we're experimenting with. We're having our first one next week, actually. Um, and wow. yeah, and it's so, and you can, it's XR EcoHack 2020. You can um, Google that and it will come up. But we, I'd love to hear other ways, whether it be hackathons that people want to get involved with and do together. I think the community, what I want to see for the community in any ways, in any way possible, and I'm open to all solutions, is the coming together, the siloing of things, I think is such a dangerous, has a lot of negative impacts. And there's so much great work going on in XR across all different industries. And I think we need to do a better job as a larger community to come together and augment each other's messages and and to sort of connect these communities because there's just there's just these disparate communities. Um, so I would love to kind of fold communities together. And I, I see this day where we have, you know, Burning Man style, 20,000, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that are in XR that are building things together. And I think that could be sooner rather than later if we as a community make that happen. Yeah, David, this has been amazing. We really appreciate your time with us. Uh, sharing your wisdom and knowledge in this space. And uh, I just want to say thank you again. And you're listening to the XRC pod. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.